0: This morning's scripture comes from John, chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples
1: after he was raised from the dead. Good morning. Can I get a strong good morning? Good morning. That was good. Thank you, Cutter. He's, uh, can't have a morning without Cutter. Um... It's 11, so you guys, well, no, it's like 11.20 or 11.30 or whatever, but you guys should be up. So if you're not, get some coffee or, or you're you got some coffee, drink some more. Uh, today, Tommy is out today. Uh, Pastor Tommy, he is out this morning. Um, uh, my name is Sam, one of the leaders here at Watermark. And, uh, we have a special guest for you guys this morning. Um, I don't know if, um, uh, Some of you guys might have been to the uh, Marriage One conference yesterday, and it was awesome. It was brilliant. It was practical. It was uh, put into work, and it will be life-changing. And we had Dave and Nancy, who were the guest speakers, uh, yesterday at the uh, Marriage One Day conference. And uh, uh, Dave will be sharing this morning. Uh, So if you guys can welcome him this morning as he gets on the stage. This way
2: too. And I bring up my wife too? This is my wife, gorgeous wife Nancy, right here, the better half. How many? Uh, how many were in the one day yesterday? Well, it's good. More than the nine o'clock service. You guys are uh, good. Some of the you're listening to one another a little more, living out your goals. Raise your hand if you're doing that. Good, good, very good. So. <clears throat> If you've got your phones or your Bibles, I still like to read off of paper. You can turn to John chapter 21. Um, so good to be here at Watermark. I, uh, I mentioned yesterday, um, we, we love two things. First of all, that you've got so many young people. I mean, we've got uh, our, our kids, we've raised four kids in missions. We've been in uh, YWAM youth with a mission for the last 30 years. Our kids are all between 34 and 24, so it's great to look out in a crowd and see so many young people. But the other thing that I love is the, uh, is the new worship that I hear coming out. And I told Tommy, I said, this place is like an incubator for some of the new worship that God's raising up in the earth. And uh, maybe instead of uh, like Hillsong worship, it's going to be watermark worship. You know, my generation putting out CDs. Do you guys you guys even know what that is? CDs? <laughs> or, you know, what do you call it live streaming or whatever? You know, I'll, I'll look for it on uh, YouTube next year. I keep up on some of this stuff. So we are in the midst of some major shifting and shaking. Uh, in the global church in these days. We're in the midst of some major shifting and shaking in our own lives. God, my wife and I uh, come from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, so I bring you greetings from there. It's a little colder up there, but we do have mountains and things like that instead of the flatlands of Florida. So there are some advantages to living up north, but uh, we we love being here in Tampa. We were at the beach yesterday, our toes were going down in the sand and we were like, this is a really nice place to be in the month of December. Uh, somebody told us we need to go and check out the manatees up north at Wikiwaki Springs or whatever that place is called. Did I get it right? Probably not. Wiki-watchy? Uh So we're going we're gonna to do some of that. And, uh, but the, but we do live in days when there's re, some real shifting and shaking that's happening. It's interesting w- the ways in which this text about knowing Jesus in the midst of great change brings us peace, brings us direction, helps us to walk through life with the presence of Jesus with us. Just a couple of snapshots before I go into the message so that, um, I like to share when I preach. Now, number, number one, one big shift that's happening right now is uh, I was in the city of Jerusalem three years ago at a conference. Uh, there were 5,000 of us there. Half of the people in this conference were from mainland China. I looked around and we were sing. you know, most of the worship was in Mandarin and everything. And I'm like, this is like freaky. We're in the city of Jerusalem. We're Singing these worship songs in Mandarin, and we had these um, house church leaders stand up and share what God was doing in China, and it was quite extraordinary. They were there in Jerusalem because the house church movement in China is committed to raising up in the next decade a hundred thousand missionaries. Now, in in youth, youth for the mission is the largest. Protestant mission organization today, and we have 20,000 people that are working on the front lines. But the Chinese, these Chinese leaders were saying, you know, we're going we're to multiply that. We're going to take that five times up to 100,000. And it was quite an extraordinary time where they believe that God has given them the task to send out this massive missions force from China back to Jerusalem, it's called the Back to Jerusalem Movement. Don't know if you've heard of it, but moving through Central Asia through the through the 1040 window, that geographic zone um, where many of the world's unreached peoples live, and uh, and they just made commitment after commitment. We saw this amazing. We just had this incredible snapshot as to what God is doing through the. Um, that enormous church. And so it's really exciting. And then a year ago, I was in Kansas City, and we had 5,000 YWAMers together in Kansas City. The exciting development that took place there was we had the leaders together of Bible societies globally. Wycliffe was there, many other ones, United Bible Societies and things like that. And one after another, they all stood up and they said, we are very close to making sure that every language group on earth has at least some portion of the Scriptures in their own language. And the significance of that, you know, Lauren Cunningham, who's the founder of YOM, was there, and he kind of brought it all together. He said, historically... Um, Bible translation has been the precursor for church planning movements and movements into Jesus among unreached people groups globally. And, uh, one after the other, these, um, these leaders of Bible society said somewhere between 2020 and 2025, every language, every tongue, every People group on earth is going to have a portion of the Bible in their own language. So they said the significance of this in terms of the gospel, you know, that reference in Matthew, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come, that word nations referring to, eth- to ethne, ethnic groups, people groups we're getting really, really close. So you've got the Chinese church getting mobilized to complete the task. You've got Bible translation that's accelerating. And we sat in these meetings in Kansas City a year ago, and I'm like, wow. There's some really epic shaking and shifting that's happening all around us. And I know it's happening in this congregation. I know that thing of, What's God calling me to do? Maybe it's, maybe it's downshifting a little bit. Maybe it's finding a place of silence and solitude. Maybe it's Jesus calling you apart to himself. Maybe it's, maybe it's upshifting and you have a sense that God's calling you to something new, something that's even more challenging. Maybe God's calling you to Pull up your life here in Tampa and go somewhere else on the planet to share your faith. But there really is a a time of shifting, remaking, shaking that's happening and I know it's affecting Watermark Church here too. It's not just up in Vancouver. It's not just in Kansas City. It's not just in South Africa where my wife and I last served. It's happening here in Watermark. And so if you're in that place with me of finding Jesus again, of holding on to him in the midst of the shakings of life, of maybe being challenged to some kind of radical new step of faith, then today's story is, is for you as it is for me. So let's go back to the, uh, to the text there. Um, and to understand the power of the story, you need to understand a few things that are happening around it. First of all, this lake on which these guys go to fish was known as having the most abundant um, fish in the Roman Empire. So if you wanted to fish, you would come here to the Sea of Tiberias to fish if you wanted a good chance of catching fish. Another thing you need to remember about the context is Jesus has died. He's been crucified. He's risen from the dead. Um, but the disciples still don't get the significance of it. They've had this amazing conversation with Him in the upper room. He's told them very clearly what's going to happen, but they're still shocked and surprised when they realize that He's risen from the dead. And so they're still trying to work out this thing of, what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? What does it mean to follow this guy that's being raised from the dead? What are the implications for our lives? They, they still haven't put it all together. Jesus has appeared to them in really dramatic fashion. So he's basically got this body that can walk through doors and he's walked through a door into this room where they're just kind of, I think, a little shaken, a little wondering what's happening. Um, certainly Thomas has said in the midst of it, I, I, I won't believe unless I actually put my finger in the wounds, I put my hand in his side. Jesus appears in really, in really dramatic ways, which he does every once in a while. Um, but in this story... He appears, but He's he's hidden. Which happens in our lives too, right? Sometimes we don't get the clues. We don't see the fact that He's there. Or somehow in the darkness of our understanding, we don't realize that it's His presence that He's given us more than anything else. And the other thing you need to understand is Peter plays a really key role in this. So there are seven disciples by the lake. Who knows where the other guys are? But they're gathered around the lake. And Peter jumps into his leadership position again. And I find that under a little, a little uh, interesting because the reality is further back in the Gospels, Jesus has clearly told all 12 of them. He's called them to him but he's clearly told them to leave behind their nets, to leave behind their boats, just kind of, guys, just kind of beach them on the shoreline because I've got other things that I'm calling you to do. He tells them, instead of fishing for fish, you're going to fish for men. And Peter's gone through this incredibly traumatic, transformational experience where he of all the disciples has vowed to Jesus, I will never compromise in my faith. Jesus, all the other disciples might leave you when it comes to times of testing, but I'm going to stay faithful. I will never deny you. And then we know from reading through the Gospels that Peter does not keep that commitment. In fact, Jesus says to him, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, of course, says to Jesus, no, Lord, never, not me. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you will. You will deny me. And I think there was something happening there where Peter was going through what I call a shame hangover. So it's the kind of thing where we, in some way, haven't kept our commitments to other people. We haven't kept our commitments to God. And then in reaction against that, we kind of swing the other way and we become potentially even more prideful, even more stubborn because we want to prove to ourselves and others, you know, I'm, I really am standing true to God. But Peter in some way expresses it by saying at the very beginning, as you're looking there at the text, he says, I'm going fishing. doesn't say, let's go and fish, guys. He just says, I, I think he was in a situation where he was trying to figure out what was going on, right? I've left Jesus. I've been embarrassed. And in the midst of that, he just says, we're by the lake. Now, I wonder if they got there intentionally, or whether they were just kind of wandering around in Galilee, wondering, we had this incredible face-to-face encounter with Jesus. We don't know exactly where this whole thing of the call of God is going. So maybe, maybe unconsciously they wandered down to the shores of the lake, thinking, we know how to fish. We don't know exactly what this means to follow Jesus, but we do know that this is familiar to us, right? When they're shaking, what was in our past, what was familiar to us, becomes even more attractive. And I think some of that is happening with the disciples. So Peter just says, I'm going fishing. And the rest of them replied, we're going with you. I actually need to turn on my iPad here. I'm sorry, Sam. I know you're saying... And I will not say the passcode in public like I did in the first service. (laughs) Um, I made that mistake. Preachers do that sometimes. Um, Okay. I do not have an iPad. I'm still a Windows guy, so I'm like, this is... Okay, is that up on the screen? It is. Hallelujah, it's right there. Okay, so Peter says, I'm going fishing. Here's the second part of the story that's really key as you're following it. Um, They caught nothing. These guys that are professional fishermen in the best fishing ground in the Roman Empire fish all night and caught nothing. What's the point behind that sermon point? The reality is sometimes God holds back fruitfulness. He increases dryness within our soul to bring us back to the central reality of Jesus. So we can develop this overconfidence in our own abilities, our own ability to structure life, our own ability to work out our marriage, our family, whatever team we're part of. I mean, it happens in missions, it happens in local churches. There's a there's a certain sense of complacency that comes in. And Jesus allows a dryness to come so that we're spurred on in our pursuit of Him once again. And it's interesting in the text, they caught nothing. They should have been catching something, but they caught nothing. Let's go a little further on. When the sun came up, so it's like around 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the morning, Jesus was standing on the beach. John wants us to know that, although John hasn't seen him either. Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. And it's interesting, when you go back in the book of John, in the the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, over and over again in the text, it says, Jesus appeared, but they didn't recognize Him. They didn't recognize Him. They didn't recognize Him. We struggle with the same issues. He's there. His presence goes before us and fills us, but we don't always recognize that Jesus is at work. And they caught nothing. So Jesus says, this voice comes from The shoreline. Good morning. Did you you catch anything for breakfast? And they answered, no. Now think about the dynamics that are happening in the boat. Just like us. So often we think we're experts at doing life, experts at marriage. Well, no, I'll keep my hand down on that one. Experts at teaching, experts at leading a church, Experts at raising kids, um, and we're in, we're kind of similar to the fishermen, and uh, they, he's asking them whether they caught something. And I can imagine these are Jewish guys, right? These are rough and ready fishermen. I can imagine some of the arguments that would have broken out in the boat, like Peter, who tended to be the more arrogant one in the bunch. He might have said when he heard the voice, his response might have been like, Who does that guy over there on the beach think he is? Because they didn't recognize him, right? And maybe John would have said, Um, uh, this guy doesn't, doesn't really know fishing. So, Peter, don't, don't, don't sweat it. He, you know, who knows who he is, but, you know, uh, maybe another disciple would have said something else, but there would have been all kinds of stuff happening, I'm sure, because they're frustrated at not catching anything. This voice is asking them this crazy question, uh, including breakfast. It's like, what's he talking about breakfast? Um, you know, the text doesn't tell us they were out there to catch breakfast, but the voice maybe knows something we don't know. You know, they're just wrestling it out and everything else. And I find it interesting there that Jesus, the first thing he does is he asks them a question. Now, as you think about Jesus, the fact that he knows the hearts of the disciples, he probably knows the debate that's happening in the boat at this time, you're kind of left wondering, why doesn't Jesus like tell them exactly what to do right off. In this dialogue that he's having with them, the first thing he does is he asks them a question. And there's something here in the ways of God that we need to dial into because the reality is, in the Gospels, Jesus asks over a hundred questions. And many times in in his engagements with people, you're left thinking... Jesus, I don't I don't quite get it. Why did you ask a question there when you could have made a statement? We talked a little bit yesterday about the power of asking questions and listening. Sometimes we don't get that, but the reality is I think Jesus, who knows and created us, understands the power of questions himself. And there's something about questions that reveal the heart. So sometimes I find... We're, we're looking over here. We're asking God for answers, right? And instead of giving us the answer, He comes and He asks us another question. And we're left thinking, whoa, where did that come from? Jesus, I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking for more questions. I'm looking for an answer. But there's something here in the ways of God where Jesus uses questions to expose our hearts at another level. Sometimes he wants us to be more aware of our fears and anxieties because we're making bad decisions based upon those subliminal things, and he actually helps us by asking us questions, but that can set off some real arguing with God. I don't know about you, but... You know, when God comes to me and doesn't give me the answer and instead asks me a question, it throws me off of my game a little bit. And I think there was something happening there among the disciples when he does that. Did you catch anything for breakfast? After they've had their wrestlings and debating and things like that, they answer no. And then he makes the statement. He said to them, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. I remember when my wife and I left South Africa and came back to Vancouver. We left um, because of the needs within our family, but we were really uncertain about what was happening next. And Jesus took us through steps of obedience that... Um, how can I describe it? It was a much longer process than what we expected. We were incredibly impatient in the midst of it, thinking we're back here, things should just ignite really quickly, but we weren't quite sure about what God, what God had for us in the city of Vancouver. I mean, ultimately, he led us into pioneering this uh, global ministry to missionary marriages, but initially it was really slow in coming. And we had to walk through it not like a general just giving out commands and us saying, okay, yes, sir, we'll do that. It was much more like holding onto the hand of Jesus and walking through this incredible transition of what missionaries call um, re-entry culture shock together with Jesus and asking for His direction. And I find it interesting that he says, throw the nets off the right-hand side of the boat. Because when you think about the fact that they fished all night, and the boat wasn't very long. It probably went from here um, over to that low wall over there. So, so a fairly small boat. There are seven guys in it. Don't ask me exactly where they got the, the nets and everything else. I don't know whether they boarded. it. I don't know whether... You know, it was a boat and nets that they'd thrown up there before and they kind of found them lying under a tree and thought, you know, that's our stuff, we might as well pick it up again. But in that small boat, the seven of them had thrown the nets off the right-hand side, they'd thrown them off the left, they'd thrown them off the front, they'd thrown them off the back, they'd probably redone that cycle because as you know, when you get more and more frustrated about what God is doing... You tend to try different things in random here and here and here. Nothing seems to be working out. It's like God corralling you into that place of saying, this is the way, walk in it, but you're not quite, you haven't quite figured that out yet. So there probably was another round of recriminations and arguing. Like, who does he think he is? Um, we fished off the right, left, front, back. But the voice just says, probably very calmly from the shoreline, throw your net off the right-hand side. If if John had a stopwatch, he might have added into the text, um, and we fought for half an hour as to whether we should actually obey that voice, but he didn't, so we just have to assume they were working it out. But ultimately... John says when they did, all of a sudden there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Interesting the text. They don't quite put it together with Jesus yet, but they, the voice says, throw it off the right, and all of a sudden there's an abundance of fish in the net. They've had this experience before with Jesus that there were so many fish that they they couldn't pull in the net. And then it says, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Master. John, who had this close, intimate relationship with Jesus, all of a sudden has his eyes opened. And you need to watch for that. When you're working on a team in leadership, any ministry process that you're in, you need to look and bless the people that recognize the hand of God in your midst, the ones that have the light bulb go off and just say, guys, this is Jesus. This is what He's doing. It's different than what we planned, but let's go with the sweet spot because it's the presence of God that goes before us. John gets that and probably shouted shouted it out into that boatload of guys it's the lord and it's like you're wondering why did they take so long to wake up to that the reality is we're exactly the same so often in the shifting and shaking we don't see jesus in the midst of all that we're doing and john wakes up to that and says it's the master Peter jumps into the water, they follow, and I find it interesting, if you go down a little further, it says that they pulled the net to shore, and there were 153 big fish, these weren't just minnows, and they took the time to count them. It's good sometimes to stop and recount specifically the things that Jesus has done in our midst. Look at the number of marriages that have been saved this year. Look at the number of people that have been saved through what God has been doing within Watermark. Look at the number of young children that we've got in our children's program. It's worth stopping and stepping back sometimes and saying God has done wonderful things because we've been following Jesus even in the midst of not always understanding what he was doing. So that takes place in the story. And then Jesus says to them, I've only got two more points, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Now the significance about this part is the amazing generosity of Jesus. So who caught the fish? It was Jesus. But, The boys did some work in the midst of that. They had to obey. They had to throw their nets out. But the fruitfulness, the abundance, the increase came from the hand of God. And Jesus says to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. He could have easily said, bring some of the fish that I caught guys. I caught those fish. Bring them to me. But it's very similar to the ways of God in our own lives. We tend to take the glory to ourselves. If you've built a great business, it develops, it can develop within you a sense of, oh, we've done, we've really worked hard. We've done phenomenal sales this year. Hallelujah. We've done well. But The reality is is that it's God who gives the power to gain wealth. And the increase that you've seen here at Watermark, somebody told me the church was a Baptist church that had gone down to like six people. It's exploded. You've got two churches on Sunday morning. Who's done the work? There's been a lot of work that's been done with many people. But Jesus is the one that's done the work. But He is so gracious. In YWAM we call it, Uh, we call this this phrase descriptive of what we call co-creating with God. In other words, He has the world in His hands. He knows what He's doing in Tampa. He knows the revival that's coming. He knows where He's taking Watermark Church and the body of Christ that's here. But He says to us in the midst of it, bring the talents you've got, bring your marriage to me, bring your children to me, Bring your business to me. Let me use it for my glory. Let me add it into the bigger picture of God on a mission. And as you do, I'll multiply your labor and your efforts so it's so much more than what you could do in your own strength. Bring some of the fish you've just caught. And then in the text, he goes on, And the net's been pulled to shore. It's up on the sand and everything else. Interesting phrase. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. And not one of the disciples dared to ask Him, who are you? They knew it was the Master so descriptive that John would put that little phrase in, none of them would dare ask him. Because obviously, even though they've seen the miracle of the fish once again, some of them are still looking and they're thinking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Why did he stand on the beach for so long? Why didn't he reveal himself sooner? Jesus, why... They had all these questions, but none of the questions came out because Jesus, in simplicity, just said, Boys, I've been here. I've been preparing things for you. Even when you weren't acknowledging me, even when you weren't seeing me, I was preparing the breakthrough that I wanted to give to you. I have the fish. I have the fire. It's all ready. Sit down and have breakfast. No blame, no shame, no... I, why did you guys waste all night? You didn't have to do that. There was none of that. It's that it's that unconditional love and grace of God where He just says, guys, let's not debate. There's no blame here. Just come and have breakfast. And it was that simplicity that uh, that just ends off the story. And it says, Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. The third time, he takes the bread, he takes the fish, he's prepared a feast there on the beach, and he gives it to them. Um, it's not debriefing. It's not asking the hard questions. It's just saying, come and have a taste of my presence. Come and have a taste of my goodness. Come and have a taste of my generosity in the midst of the shaking that's taking place in your life. Look at Jesus. Find the person of Jesus. The attractive, beautiful one. Hear God's voice recognize your fears, just like the disciples. If you're in a dry place, let God ask you the hard questions. Obey Jesus, okay? Stick with it, enjoy His company. That's what I think John is trying to get across to us in this text. Walk it out with him. So let's close our eyes. Sam's coming up for communion. Let's just close our eyes and... um. I want to pray over you guys. So Jesus, we recognize you in the midst of watermark. We recognize you in the midst of our marriages. We recognize you in the midst of our families. And we give you thanks, Lord, for what you're doing. And in the midst of the challenges... I think that God says to us, I'm the center of your relationships, your circumstances, your careers, your tasks, your team, your staff. This is my kingdom that I'm building through you. Bring your fears and worries to me. I know that you don't see me yet in my fullness, but I'm right there with you. Trust me. Don't go back to what is familiar when I'm calling you into more faith and more risk than you've ever known before. Your talents and gifts are mine. I gave them to you. Bring them back to me for my use and my service and my glory. And if God's speaking that to you just in the quietness of your seat, I'm just going to stop for a moment. Just respond to the voice of Jesus and say, yes, Lord, I give it back to you. I've been holding on. I give back to you my marriage, my children, my career, my calling. Just do that with Jesus. Just respond to his voice. Respond to what he's been speaking to you through his, through this story. And I hear the voice of Jesus saying, as you've responded to him, come and have breakfast with me. I've prepared a table for you even in the presence of your enemies. I've prepared a table for you even in the circumstances that seem overwhelming. Even in the testing times, I prepare a table for you, a sumptuous banquet of provision, of answers, of my presence and the richness of my voice in ways that you've not known before. Open up your ears again to hear the word of the Lord. Open up your ears again. I am with you. Know my promise, which I've said to you again and again. I am with you. And so, Jesus, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge your work in our church And Lord, I bless Watermark this morning that the presence of Jesus, the risen one, in their midst would be so tangible and powerful that, Lord, we would enjoy Jesus like never before in doing the work that he's called us to do. And I bless all that you've done in each one this morning, Lord, through the simplicity of this story, in Jesus' name, amen.